everything we experience, our emotions, our spirituality, our ideas of beauty, where do they come from? The theory of materialism says everything we experience is a product of our own brains. That is, our brains create consciousness from physical matter alone, that all of our emotions and thoughts are the results of neurons firing in our brains, that the soul does not exist. Many have subscribed to this theory, including Dr. Eben Alexander, a Harvard-trained neurosurgeon. Dr. Alexander says he thought this absolutely was the case until his own brain crashed. I'm Sugamba, and this is Mysteries of Life. My conversation with the neurosurgeon took place at his cozy home in Virginia. Dr. Alexander is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. Having spent more than 25 years as an academic neurosurgeon, Dr. Alexander says his life's calling was science. I had grown up in a very scientific family. My father, my adoptive father, been a globally renowned neurosurgeon. Now, like many who grew up in the 60s and 70s, uh, I knew science was the pathway to truth. And that is that thinking that a Newtonian deterministic kind of material science, uh, kind of pre-quantum physics, is the pathway to truth. And that is not the In his most recent book, Living in a Mindful Universe, he describes materialist science as the belief in the existence of only physical matter. In this view, we're only our physical bodies, and when the body dies, consciousness ends. You know, I was a 54-year-old neurosurgeon, neuroscientist, and uh, thought I had some idea about how brain, mind, and consciousness work. Dr. Alexander, now 69 years old, was trained to look at ailments in the brain from up close to restore it to its normal level of conscious awareness. He looked at the brain to diagnose and treat tumors, injuries, or strokes affecting it. But Dr. Alexander's materialist beliefs would eventually be challenged in 2018. Now let's talk about that. Can you walk us through your experience, near-death experience? This particular morning, I woke up about 4.30 with horrific back pain. Uh, thought if I got out of bed, got down the hallway into a nice hot bathtub, maybe that would alleviate the pain. Didn't work at all. I almost couldn't get out of the tub. I had to put a towel over a towel rack and pull myself up. S struggled my way back to bed where I collapsed, writhing in a cold sweat. I mean, I was in pain, horrific back pain. Uh, soon thereafter, my youngest son, Bond, who was 10 years old at the time, he came in the room, realized dad wasn't off at work for some reason, and he saw that I looked to be in horrific pain. He came over and started rubbing my temples as if that would make it better. And it felt like he'd driven a white hot railroad spike through my head. Horrific pain. Anyone in medicine who hears a sudden onset severe back pain, headache, would instantly think of meningitis, but the doctor was already out. My brain was already being overrun by an extremely aggressive uh, gram-negative bacterial infection that by all rights should have killed me. Dr. Alexander had a full seizure and was rushed to a Virginia emergency room. For the next seven days, he remained seemingly unconscious due to an extremely rare bacterial infection called E. coli meningitis. He had no measurable brain activity during that time, 
and was told that his chance of survival was 2%. But was he really unconscious? And yet what it did was give me this beautiful journey. While his brain was plagued with infection, he'd experienced things he could not make sense of. And the way I remember that is it all started in what I call the earthworm eye view. And again, I was amnesic for the life of Eben Alexander, no knowledge of this earth. I had none of our language to work with. And with no memories, you know, as much as uh, I started what I call the earthworm eye view, as primitive course, kind of underground, subterranean, have uh, memories of roots or blood vessels or something all around me, kind of this irritating presence. And it seemed to go for a very long time, but luckily I was rescued from that by this slowly spinning white light that came uh, like a, associated with a perfect musical melody. And this light came slowly spinning out of the murk around me. And as it came towards me, uh, it expanded into this light portal that led up into this brilliant ultra real gateway valley. There were a lot of earth-like features. There were sparkling waterfalls and crystal blue pools, lots of meadows and then forests around, uh, incredible beauty. And there were thousands of beings dancing, joy and merriment, festivities. I remember children playing, dogs jumping, incredible fun because up above were these swooping orbs of angelic choirs that were emanating chants and anthems and hymns that would just thunder through my awareness. And I remember in all this incredible beauty of this indescribable realm, um, this gateway valley, the best part about it was I was not alone. Now I saw myself as a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing and there were millions of other butterflies looping and spiraling in these vast formations. But beside me on the butterfly wing was a young woman, sparkling blue eyes, high cheekbones, high forehead, soft brown hair framing her lovely face. Uh, she was dressed in the same kind of simple peasant garb as all the souls between lives dancing down below us. But the colors were very kind of pure and rich and, and uh, kind of pristine. The colors were very, I remember her colors in particular of her fabrics is powder blue and an indigo blue and a soft pastel uh, kind of uh, peach color. Uh, just incredible uh, beauty to that whole scene. And her message to me, I think, was the central message I was to bring back from this journey. And that message, which was delivered to me, is an emotional uh, kind of mind melt. She never had to say a word. It was telepathically, emotionally, uh, mind overlap. And she told me, you, you have nothing to fear. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. You are cared for. And I cannot tell you how important that message was at the time. And what I've come to realize in the 14 years since my coma is much of my journey was about whether or not I was even worthy of love because uh, I'd been abandoned by my birth mother at age 11 days. And uh, that's where that kind of smoking crater of whether or not I was worthy of love had been part of my life. And uh, then the journey uh, proceeded. Uh, and in fact, what happened was those angelic choirs uh, provided yet another musical portal to higher and higher levels. And I remember seeing all of four dimensional space time of the material realm collapsing down. And then all of that spiritual realm, the gateway valley, uh, with its kind of meta time or deep time, a completely higher ordering of causality that allows for things like a full blown life review, you know, birth to death and everything in between to occur as relived experience, not as just vague memories, but it shows you how powerful being in that spiritual realm is to elevate you up and outside of what we normally think of as evolution of time in, in this material world. And all of that collapsed down. 
And that's where I entered what I call the core, which was the furthest point of my journey. And the core realm was a, a complete oneness where all dualities come into one. I recognized the oneness uh, of that. In fact, my conscious awareness was derived directly from that God source of pure love that all of us have that connection. And it turns out I would tumble back down to that earth where my view just spontaneously. And I cycled through these various spiritual realms several times. The important thing is I learned that by using music, you know, re remembering the notes of the melody, that's what allowed me to conjure up these light portals between levels. Uh, and it turns out that uh, uh, I was always told entering that core realm, you're not here to stay, you'll be going back. After his recovery, though no record of brain complications could be traced, he could recall memories of a travel to extraordinary spiritual realms, which he refers to as the realm of the earthworm's eye view the Gateway Valley, and the core. In some ways, similar to what Dr. Alexander experienced, the concept of a three-tiered world is found in many cultures. Looking at the Buddha school, the three-tiered spiritual world is referred to as the desire realm, the form realm, and the formless realm. The desire realm is made up of the Earth's beings, the lowest realm. The form realm and the formless realms are higher, heavenly places. In Norse mythology, the three-tiered spiritual world is known as Asgard, Midgard, and Hell. Asgard is the realm of the gods and goddesses. Midgard is the earthly realms of humans and animals. And Hell is the underworld where the dead reside. Though many philosophers and theologians believe that the universe was created and sustained by a divine being, and that the material world was merely an expression of spiritual reality, the emergence of materialist theory in the 17th and 18th centuries strongly rejected this idea. Many traditional religious beliefs were challenged by materialist ideas, which emphasized observable evidence and rational inquiry rather than spiritual faith. Materialist thinkers held that there was no evidence to support the existence of supernatural beings or spiritual realms, and that these ideas were merely a product of human imagination. In the modern era, materialist theory continues to influence religious belief and practices. Having experienced this unearthly, non-measurable odyssey that felt so real, but which goes against everything he's ever known and worked for, how did Dr. Alexander interpret it? When I first came back from Como, when my brain was still kind of scrambled, but I was recovering my neuroscience knowledge, uh, I recognized that um, you know something very extraordinary had happened. When a medical case report that came out in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases uh, by three physicians who were not involved in my care but fascinated by my recovery. Uh, and they really came to two major conclusions. One is that my brain was in no shape to have any kind of dream or hallucination at all. The uh, objective medical evidence of my neurologic exams, uh, my CT and MRI scans, lab values, did not allow for that brain 
brain to put together any kind of conscious experience, much, much less the most extraordinary, detailed, memorable set of events I'd ever experienced. How could all that happen when my brain was so demonstrably inactivated? That was the big mystery I had to solve. And in, in essence, what it was showing me is that our conscious awareness does not depend on the brain. In many ways, we're conscious in spite of our brain. And that's what near-death experiencers have been trying to tell us for thousands of years across all cultures, is that when you die and you're liberated from the shackles of the prison of your brain and body, your conscious awareness expands tremendously to where you reunite with your higher soul, you reunite with souls of departed loved ones, go through life reviews where you witness all the main events of your life, relive them, not just remember them, but in ways that allow the teaching and learning of the lessons of this life we lead to work into our soul journey. How has this near-death experience impacted your life? Well, I would say it's really changed me at a fundamental level. It's really changed my metaphysics. It's changed my understanding of the way the world works. And, uh, you know, as much as some scientists will, you know, diss metaphysics, it turns out all of us have our preferred metaphysics. And for them, that preferred metaphysics is materialism. You know, the, only the physical world exists and uh, the brain must somehow create consciousness. And all the evidence for non-local consciousness, uh, quantum physics itself, uh, in many ways is screaming at us that consciousness is something fundamental and primary in the universe. There, there's uh, one uh, uh, kind of data point in particular that I think your audience would be uh, well advised of, and that is a contest that was held back in 2021 by Robert Bigelow. And in that contest, uh, he wanted to know, his wife had died, his son had committed suicide. He wanted to know where are they now? So he put a question out to the scientific community. The question was, what's the best scientific evidence for the continuity of conscious awareness beyond permanent bodily death? And with that challenge, back in 2021, he received more than a thousand applications, people who wanted to write an essay for this contest. Um, they made it clear that you had to show at least five years scientific work in the afterlife field. And in that setting, they got 204 essays. Originally, Bigelow was going to hand out three monetary awards, but the uh, quality of the papers was so excellent, they ended up giving out 29 monetary awards. And I highly recommend people start with, for example, Jeffrey Mishlov's first place essay there, and you'll realize very quickly the evidence of supporting this scientifically, the reality of the afterlife and of reincarnation, is beyond reasonable doubt. Jeffrey Mishlov, in his 2021 essay, cites multiple pieces of evidence that suggests the existence of consciousness after death. One piece of evidence he cites is the number of solved reincarnation cases in the University of Virginia database. Director of the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia, Dr. Jim B. Tucker says they've studied over 2,500 reincarnation cases in children and that two-thirds of them were solved. A case is considered solved when the child's description of specific past life details, such as location, match a real location and the people who had lived there. And then there are multiple other essays there. I recommend all 29 of them. They take different approaches. Uh, but for the hardcore scientists, certainly Pim Van Lommel's second place essay and Bernardo Castrup's essay are very, very strong uh, and just make it obvious that this is the way the world works. And, 
slowly the scientific community and the world at large will wake up to all this and it will make a tremendous difference because the world we're talking about of this awakening of the oneness of consciousness and the power of kindness and of love and compassion for healing us individually will also heal this world tremendously. What would you say to people who are skeptical about the reality of your near-death experience? I would simply say that I think the case report goes even farther than I did in proof of heaven. The case report by Dr. Serbi Khanna, Lauren Moore, and Bruce Grayson came out in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases in um, September of 2018. And I can highly recommend that report. In fact, when they tried to get it published, the, the peer review editors of the journal said, this case is absurd. You know, we don't have other cases of people with gram-negative bacterial meningoencephalitis spending a week in coma uh, with this dire set of medical parameters who then end up making a full recovery. How do you explain it? And the three doctors who wrote the case report said, it's because he had a near-death experience that he was able to have this miraculous recovery. Mm -hmm. This miraculous healing in the setting of NDEs is a real fact. Uh, and as more and more of us realize that these stories uh, convey not just what can happen to a few people, but what can happen to all of us as we open our kind of window of understanding of our spiritual nature and our sense of connectedness uh, and can vastly improve our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, people, Everybody is kind of at their own level in this understanding, but all I can tell you is that the data is there so that anybody, for example, who takes the time to read even one of those Bigelow papers will be far better educated about the nature of reality uh, and where all this is going from a scientific standpoint. And so how, in a tangible, concrete way, how did you change your everyday life, your purpose, passion, how have you changed? Well, I would say that the, the uh, near-death experience catalyzed a complete 180-degree flip from my former understanding. And before, I, like many who uh, you know, follow materialist science, kind of saw us as individual beings, separate, kind of eternally separate uh, you know, at a fundamental level. Uh, but that is false. And what my NDE showed me is we're all deeply connected at this mental layer. And it's not just humans. We're connected with all of the universe through this kind of mental layer. It's a, a, a layer of information, assimilation, and integration. But it has a lot more to do with that understanding of the common good uh, and the, the higher good and uh, uh, that binding force of love and how healing it can be. I came to recognize, you know, as a physician, I always thought that most of the work we did as physicians was very important the way we saw it. I've come to realize that in many ways, uh, healing when it occurs in major fashion is largely due to the individual and the individual's work. Now this doesn't mean that we don't use modern medicine to help alleviate certain uh, medical situations, but I came to recognize a far greater role for the individual soul and their journey in their own healing. Now, medical science has honored placebo effect, you know, for more than six decades as the gold standard to compare any new medication and some new surgical procedures. You can set up a sham procedure, etc. And that placebo effect is not just a sugar pill fixing a headache. It's medical science's acknowledgement that your thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes can play a tremendous role in your own coming into wholeness, healing, and health. And that's where I think placebo 
effect is very important and this acknowledgement of mind over matter because people have to realize that the the reigning paradigm of scientific materialism would scoff at you for claiming to have free will and that is because they believe that all this thing we call consciousness is the epiphenomenon of chemical reactions and electron fluxes in the brain of a material substance all following the rules of physics chemistry and biology so where would you inject free will in there they would laugh at you for claiming to have free will well that's where i would say placebo effect spontaneous remission and especially miraculous healing in the set of ndes are a beautiful example of spirit over matter mind over matter but even beyond that spirit over matter where we're all really uh, sharing that god consciousness at the core of the universe and so it's just a much richer deeper understanding of free will of our power to influence our emerging reality and completely flies in the face of that deterministic newtonian science conventional science that still holds sway and still pretends that only the physical universe exists and that the brain is creating uh, uh, consciousness out of pure matter I would say the, the uh, kind of passion and mission that I've grown into since my coma experience, especially working with other scientists, is really one of acknowledging uh, wholeness and that binding force of love and how that can bring us into wholeness and healing. Uh, essentially, uh, kind of identifying our optimal pathway as souls, you know, traversing that kind of Ender's net vision of what I saw going towards that golden core. Um, it's really kind of learning a lesson of oneness and connection, how we're all truly in this together uh, and really parts of, of, you know, we're sharing the dream of the one mind, but uh, we're also sharing that love and the binding force of that one mind uh, and how love influences it. And I've just come to realize how powerful that concept of love and of connection can be in bringing us into wholeness and healing. Uh, so in many ways, that's, it's, it's quite a different goal from my original goal, uh, but it all ultimately leads to coming into wholeness and coming into uh, kind of the ideal form of who we can be, uh, you know, as humans individually and as humans collectively. And that's what living in a mindful universe is all about that. Uh, it's all about this revolution. The evidence is really points in one direction. So it's not as if we're going to go backwards into materialism. We're going to keep moving forward into this very promising and optimistic direction of idealism. Uh, and, and in fact, when you really pay attention to the language, uh, as I said before, it's not just mind over matter, but spirit over matter. Karen Newell and I, she's the co-author of uh, the book Living in Mind for Universe and my life partner the last decade plus. And uh, we've been uh, having uh, meditation workshops or play shops uh, around the world over the last few years where we help people come into this deeper knowledge through meditation. So you don't have to have an NDE to fully get this. Going within, centering prayer, meditation, these are all mechanisms by which each and every one of us can come to know this much grander aspect of self and its influence on our emerging reality. From the conversation I had with Dr. Eben Alexander, I realized the profound impact his near-death experience had on his worldview. Before the experience, he believed that every thought, emotion, and experience could be explained by physical processes. Dr. Alexander now believes that this consciousness is made of pure love 
and that everything we experience in life is connected to it, and that by connecting with this consciousness, we can gain a deeper understanding of ourselves and our place in the world. It's been great having you with us. We hope to see you next time as we move on to our next big question on Mysteries of Life.